We all have creative ideas, but very few people have the courage to take action and put them out into the world. In our riveting conversation with award-winning filmmaker, author, internet pioneer, and TED speaker, Tiffany Schlain, she shares what it takes to trust your own experience, overcome fear, and live a courageously creative life. As important as it is to take action, Tiffany talks about how it is even more important to unplug from the world, daydream, and create white space to connect and tune into the creative voices inside. Now more than ever, the world needs your voice. Let this podcast inspire you to step up, do the thing that scares you, and bring your creative ideas to life. Oh my gosh. Welcome, Tiffany, to the Inside Journey podcast. We're so looking forward to our time together. I am so happy to be here. It's it's been a long time in the coming. We were planned to do this interview before COVID, and then this whole crazy time in our, in our lives happened. And so we were just saying that sometimes divine order works in our favor, and it's going to be even more interesting to have this conversation with you after all that we've been experiencing on our planet and our world. So, Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just a little background. I don't know if you remember this, Tiffany, but the first time I met you was at the book club, the Sausalito Nursery School Book Club. I think it was at Yasmin McGrain's house. Oh my God. Do you remember when Rachel brought you into the book club? And I remember looking at you going, wow, this woman is really cool. Like I really (laughs) warm, sparkle in her eye, engaged. Just wow. But I didn't know who you were, right? And then I started to recognize who you were and I got a little starstruck. I I have to say, I'm like, Oh my God, she's such a badass. She's done so many incredible things in the world. And I was like a little intimidated, but you wouldn't let me get intimidated, Tiffany, because you are such a warm, down-to-earth, humble woman. And I so appreciate that about you. And that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast, because this Inside Journey is about inviting guests who have accomplished wildly amazing things in their external world, but they have a really deep profound inside journey that has a lot of integrity. So we're so, so happy to be with you. Mm, well, I love, actually, I love the name of the podcast because I mean, so much of when life gets the most interesting is when you've really had an inside journey. <laughs> and when you've been curious about it and want to be a better person in the world, you know, and And so just to set the tone for all of you listening, what Kim and I are so excited to talk to Tiffany about is for decades now, she has put her creativity and her voice and her vision into the world with action. And that's not easy to do. You know, it's one thing to think something or feel something. It's another thing to really have the courage to organize it and back it up with action and then freaking put it into the world. And so part of our time today is really understanding your journey about the ins and outs of what that's been like for you, where you've fallen on your face, where you've really been excited, where you've really been connected and what it's taken for you to to live a life like this. Oh my gosh. I mean, as I was preparing, you know, I'm obviously familiar with you, Tiffany, through Johanna, through all of the incredible work that you've done, but I, I... I just have to share for anyone who doesn't know the full scope of the work that you have put out into the world. First of all, you were honored by Newsweek as one of the women shaping the 21st century. Unbelievable. An Emmy-nominated filmmaker, the founder of the Webby Awards, which I completely remember back in San Francisco in the late 90s. 
Um, your films and work have received over 80 awards and distinctions, including being selected for the Albert Einstein Foundation's Genius 100 Visions of the Future. I love that NPR named your UC Berkeley address as one of the best commencement speeches, and your films have premiered at top festivals, including Sundance. One of your greatest blogography, is that what you call it? Connected. Received so many accolades, including from former Vice President Al Gore. So, so many incredible accomplishments. We're just so honored, I know, so honored to have you here. And I think it's easy to look at your list of accomplishments and to think, oh my gosh, I, I'm just, I'm not in that category, creativity, I could never do what she's done. But it's interesting to me because in watching your commencement speech and seeing you interviewed on the internet in different places, you've talked about how actually one of your first films was not necessarily... Uh, a great success. In fact, it was one of your great failures. If I and so I'd love to start there, actually, and learn what was that experience like for you? And how did that propel you forward versus, you know, because I think for a lot of people, they experience failure, and they think, well, maybe I'm just not cut out to do this. Mm -hmm. I Yeah, I feel I experienced such a big failure so early in my career. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, I went to UC Berkeley and found my way. I was you know, supposed to be a doctor, but studied a lot of interdisciplinary studies and was super into the brain. You know, My mom studied psychology. My dad operated on brains. I was like super mm -hmm. fascinated. And I made, a, I made short films at UC Berkeley. I studied at NYU. Then I went back to Berkeley and I won a big award at Cal. So I was feeling pretty pumped that I could do anything. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to, I wrote a screenplay called Soli's Brain which imagined that the brain actually was a world and there was like, it was a whole surreal world that you were inside of a sculptor's brain. And like we shot on Alcatraz for where imprisoned thoughts were imprisoned and there was like a muse and it was all this stuff. And I fell flat on my face. Now, first you have to understand I was in the press a lot because I was 22. Mm -hmm. I had done really well in college, and then I was out there making a feature documentary. Spike Lee had just done it, and everyone thought I was going to succeed, and I thought I was going to succeed. Right. And it was a complicated, you know, it had 40 locations. We, I, I mean, hundreds of extras. I was waitressing. I was working as a professor's assistant and directing a film. We're trying to oh raise money God. at the same time. And then we ran out of money. And then I went into a deep depression. I, I lost my vision for it. Like I kept looking at the footage in it. And, you know, there's a certain point as an artist when you're young and what's in your head and what shows up isn't, doesn't match. I mean, finally, I'm happy to say it now does. But mm. when you're early on in your career, a lot of times what you think you want to create and what you can create are vastly different. Oh, I felt like I let everyone down. It was very public because it had been in the newspaper a lot. I had too much pride to go back to my sleep on my dad's couch. It was fresh out of college. Oh. I just felt like such a loser and a failure. And I think it was great because Why? early on to, I mean, I could taste it like it was yesterday. Like oh. if ever, ever someone says to me, they feel depressed or some project didn't happen or they're feel publicly ashamed I can taste that feeling. I just empathize so completely because I felt it so deep. And it went on for several years. I, mm. I would then would raise more money and try to finish the film and then run out of money and then fall oh, back into a depression. Wow. And I 
and a creative block. That was the only time in my life, knock on wood, and I do all of these strategies now in case I ever didn't feel creative again, but I had a creative block. I couldn't figure out how to finish this movie. And um, after three years of back and forth, getting in debt, out of debt, in debt, out of debt, one of the ways I was, I was working in technology to pay my debt, because I had a debt for the film, and someone said, look at there's this thing called the web. And I looked at it and it was an early website and I was working on a CD-ROM, which at the time was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I was writing about in high school. There it is. It's here. There's the web. Right. There's the infrastructure to connect personal computers all over the world. And I like literally dropped what I was doing and I went back to San Francisco, which was like the heart of it. And I got offered a job. I was working at the web magazine and, and that was when it was like, they were like, we don't have any budget, but we want to do some award show around the internet. I'm like, I'm an independent filmmaker. I know how to do things for no money. And I'm obsessed with the web. Oh my gosh. And I was in my twenties. I started the Webby Awards and that was like a rocket. But I think I want to go back to that story of failing really hard at 22 Mm -hmm. because it did, it humbled me. I mean, I tried to do something so big, I think because I had that kind of early 20 confidence, but then I had to slowly build it back up. And even, you know, my career since then has gone very well, but I can taste that feeling like it was yesterday. And also all the mini successes, then I really had to work back up to trying something really big again. Yeah, it was just a very formative experience for me. It sounds like one of the things that enabled you to get refocused and remotivated and re-inspired was finding something that was that you were so connected to. Because you said when you found out about the potential of creating the Webby Awards, that's what helped yes. you to kind of get back in the game. Yes, that's so exactly for, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think something else that was exciting to me about the Webbies, and, and you'll see this pattern in all of my work, is connecting people back together, connecting people, and also there was no rules. It felt very exciting because it was like the wild west. And actually I feel a lot of similarities to um, right now because no one's, the Zoom, I mean, there's like so many technologies that aren't quite there yet, but it's like we're piecemealing stuff together to make this new reality work. But it's exciting to me because there's so much potential and it's like, oh my gosh, there's so many constraints. And there was in the early days of the web too, like how can we make this experience amazing? And um that's a really great reframe too, of like looking at this time and thinking of it from a place of opportunity. Like there's oh, so much yeah. potential, right? So and I want to circle back, Tiffany, to something you said that's so interesting because a lot of our clients, they'll fall into that pattern of feeling flat and frustrated about a project and they've given it their all. And all of a sudden something really heartfelt comes into their life and they remember their energy is still there. Their confidence is still there. They were just, were not filling themselves up with that project anymore. And they pivoted mm-hmm. and instantly mm-hmm. they change. It's like, it's back. Like, do you feel? Well, I do think about that, like where the energy is. Like there's definitely, I mean, you know, I ran the Webbies for almost a decade. And then after like year seven, yeah, where I had played and explored, we had, you know, big productions at the San Francisco Opera House and I worked with all these amazing performers. And, mm-hmm. but then at a certain point it, it felt a little like Groundhog Day. And it was like every year I was, and my energy, I knew that I needed to do a new challenge. And I really wanted to get into activism. And I started, I made my first one for Planned Parenthood back then. And that was like 
the light bulb moment where I knew I had to sell the webbies and make films combined with the web to make social change. That was like this big moment. But I think what you just said about where the energy is, is really important for people to identify. When do you feel most alive? Yes. Mm-hmm. When do you, and sometimes I'll try to keep things going just because I'm not a quitter. And actually one of my biggest problems was Zoli's brain. That was the name of the movie. I had never quit anything. And in my family, no one's a quitter, but there right. What I learned from that experience was that it's just important, just as important to know when you do need to stop a project as when Mm. you need to start one. And instead of this culture that you can never let anything fall to the ground. I love that because I think, you know, for all the type A personalities or people who feel like if I say no, or if I give up, I'm a failure. You're saying, no, you have to listen to your inner voice. And if it just, you're losing that energy or it doesn't feel aligned better to just acknowledge that. Yeah. And I think some projects, they come into our lives for reasons. Some were not meant to be completed. That that movie was not meant to be completed, Mm -hmm. but you got, like you say, you can still taste the lessons. Oh my God. Thank God for that. Yes. And I also, I mean, there was a point a couple of years ago where I thought I was going to make a film about failure and I'm going to take that footage and like a short film, intercut that footage with like me sharing the lessons I learned from it. Because It was such a huge production. It would be like, I mean, if I showed you the footage, you'd be like, what? (laughs) But I never finished it. But I did eventually do a feature length film. Although my preferred format is the short form because it's just very fun and doesn't like take everything out of me. Because I had that one experience, three years on again, off again, creative block, depression, money, but that was Zoli's brain. And then I made Connected, which, you know, did very well. And I'm very proud of it, but it took me almost five years to make. And it took Mm. so much out of me that I just, at this point in my life, it took so long to complete. Um, And even my book, that was really just two years, but five years, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I just, at this point in my life, I, I just get so much more pleasure out of doing projects that are not that long. Well, and I love what you said in one of your interviews about how these short films like Dear Student and Dear Parent, I saw those recently and it provoked really cool conversation in my family. You said these these short films are like appetizers and meant to just create discussion and get people engaging. That's exactly right. And I like that. Like, I feel like I the short films, the appetizer and the discussion you have later with your partner, with your kids is the the main course. So a lot of my films are kind of sparks to go deeper on an issue. And then writing a book, which I really loved. And actually I came to see you, Joanna, when I was trying to decide what to do next. And I had a session with you, which was amazing. I highly recommend all the listeners who are like, it's like, what should I do next? And we kind of walked through the pros and cons. I'd never written a book I did a TED book, but I never written a long book. The TED book was 35 pages. And I loved the experience of like deeply thinking about something. It was the antithesis of the world we're living in now. Where we're all reactive and retweeting and reposting and everything's so quick. But to think deeply about a subject for a year yeah. and then the whole process of getting it ready to take out into the world has been really interesting. And then knowing that readers are spending so much time with my book and seeing them post on Instagram, holding it, like I'm loving the book process, but going back to the short film, I I like making short, like we're just making one for the election right now. Mm. Oh my goodness. Wow. I'm so excited. <laughs> it started as this film about the pandemic and it was this long and all this, and then it got short and I'm like, it needs to be a film to inspire people to vote. Yes. And 
I just, um, it's been such a journey on what's the right thing to put out into the world. But really I'm trying to, I'm trying to make people evolve their thinking or act or I think deeply about a subject. And I love that about a movie. I mean, I, I, I love making people feel deeply, making them laugh, think, cry, chills, motivated to do something, inspired. Like that's so exciting. And and I think the big difference after I did the Webby Awards is I did that for almost 10 years. And every year I'd a whole year devoted for an hour and a half experience at the opera house or wherever. And only the people in the room could experience it. Whereas with the film, I can make a powerful short film and you know, I've made 30 at this point, they're still all playing everywhere and they're doing all the work Yes, without me needing to be there. It's very exciting. They're continuing to have impact. Exactly. And I think that's so important. Another nugget for everyone listening is it's important for you to find the projects that some people love, like some people who are like a five on the Enneagram that are researchers and they want a five, 10, 15 year project, one thing and go deep. It matches them. If that's not you find the thing that matches your energy level. If it's, if it's not writing a book, it's writing newsletters every month or short films rather than long films. It doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. finding the thing that the key for you. Yes. Well, that was mm-hmm. like the specific, I think once everyone really understands, and I think I really found my voice in my work when I really understood that everyone has a unique perspective. Everyone comes from a, they have a completely different set of circumstances. They had completely different family upbringing. They have a different relationship to money. They have a different relationship to work. They have a different relate. Everyone, and it's all valuable because it's their own unique imprint that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Once you value that you are valuable, your perspective is valuable, and you have something to add to the larger culture and society, you will have the courage to put that perspective forward because that perspective is going to help push everyone and evolve them and everyone's perspective is valuable. The best medicine when someone says it's already been done and I say, oh, really? So your upbringing, your experience that you just told me about, that's already been done. Someone else has said the exact same thing as you. And they're like, no. And I go, exactly. Everything has been done, but not from you. That's exactly right. right. I mean, I'll tell you when I went out with my book, you know, our family turns off all screens one day a week. We've done it for 10 years as the best thing I've ever done. Actually, for so much of what we're talking about, it gives me the perspective that I lose from being connected to this network I was so excited about in my teens that now sucks up everyone's brain every second. Right. That having a day off from it every week for the last 10 years is like my super, it's my secret sauce. And I'll talk a little bit more yes. about that later. Yeah. But I remember when I, you know, we've done this practice 10 years and I was talking to agents and there was three agents that were very interested. And there was one that was interested, but in a very like blase, she's like, well, there's been like four books out this year, like how to break up with your phone, how to, all these books about screen overload. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, but has, anyone specifically turned off their screens one day a week for 10 years with their family and also super high tech person who loves technology, not anti-tech. And she looked at me for a second. She's like, well, I guess you're right. No, no. (laughs) And like when when the book did really well, I I definitely, I forwarded that. Uh, Hey, FYI, you wanted to put it down. You wanted to say no. 
Yeah, I think that is that if you truly understand your unique perspective, whatever that is, and I love Jenny, your newsletters, I think newsletters are such a great baby step to anything. And I've been doing a newsletter, it used to be quarterly for 25 years. And it's always just been in a combination of things I'm interested in, my friends' things they're doing, what I'm working on, whatever. And it's a very big list at this point. But whenever someone says, well, I, how do you build your online presence or whatever? And I'm like, wait, do you have email addresses of around 25 to 40 people in your life, your friends and your family? They could write a newsletter. It's <laughs> right. Like, Start I mean, somewhere. That right there is gold. I mean, it's mm-hmm. better than social media, which they're changing the algorithms every day. Who knows what people see? But mm-hmm. your newsletter, you will slowly grow it and they will cheer you on and you'll share with them what you're working on, what you want to do. And then you're going to be your best advocates. And that's one of the number one ways I'd say to start anything that where you want to do something in the world. And that's interesting coming from, you know, you are, I think of you as so high tech, right? That like that a newsletter is on the fairly simpler side of technology. It is. And, you know, yeah. during the pandemic, I was doing them weekly and I, they felt very good to put out. I was including my brother's doctor dispatches in them. And I felt like I was trying to channel what I was feeling and hopefully speak to other people. And it was very exciting and exhausting. Like after four months straight of doing that weekly, I was like, I cannot do these weekly yeah. anymore. And I think that's another important part of the inside journey is that you need to understand, especially I'm, you know, being a, a working mother, the needs of your families change your energy. I mean, my energy level right now during the pandemic, it's very hard for me to be as productive as normal, just hands down. I mean, yeah. you know, everyone's at home, everyone needs to eat. Right. A lot of that falls down. Yeah. <laughs> but it all fights, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yes. I think in I at first was just like, oh my gosh, I can't get as much done. And now I'm like, this is just what we're living in right now. So recalibrating, I guess that's another message is to understand the situation that we're in right now and say, okay, I used to have 10 great hours a day. Now I've got four. Yes. What am I going to do with those four so I can be most productive? And even when I was um, writing the book and I was also running my film studio, I was like, how am I going to find more time? to work mm-hmm. on this book. My husband and I love like watching a show, having a glass of wine, hanging out at night. But I was like three to four days a week when I was working on the book, I would go to bed at 9 p.m. sharp and get up at five and write from five to seven. And it was like this found two hours. I'm most juicy and creative in the morning. And if I could get two solid hours in there, it was like golden. And then I'd go back to my day. But I had to be so disciplined about going to bed because I need eight hours of sleep for mm-hmm. sure. So right now in the pandemic, it's all changing because it's harder to get as much done. So in my four hours, like what's the most important thing that I should be focused? I'm very worried about the democracy of our country. I spend a good chunk of that on the election, this election film. My book's coming out in paperback and I need yes. to focus more on that. I'm like, so you know, much going on. There's a great quote by E.B. White. It's like, every day I wake up and figure out how to save the world and how to have a good time. And I'm always struggling <laughs> about something like that. I love I don't it. have it exactly right, but it's something like that conundrum of like, I want to live well and not miss all the little moments of my kids and my husband. And I also want to change the world and, and right. give as much as I yeah. can. 
And it doesn't have to be an either or. I think it's so easy to think either I'm a focused, dedicated, present parent, partner, person at home, or I just work my life away. And I feel like this might be a good segue to your book, which you've touched on a couple of times, but can you tell us more about 24-6 and the impetus to write it and how you said that single-handedly that has been the thing that has what over the last 10 years t- turning off for 24 hours has what just brought I mean everything I feel yeah. you know I worked very hard when I was younger without a break and I thought that was what I needed to do to achieve where I wanted to go and like all the things I wanted to do but I had this very dramatic moment where my father died of brain cancer and Ken's and my daughter was born just within days of each other and it was like wow so intense. And it was a similar moment to, I feel like the pandemic where you just feel like the life is grabbing you by the shoulders and saying like, what matters? Right. What matters in your life? And I felt very distracted by the screens. I just felt like I was never present. The irony that I loved this network and I love the power of computers and spent so much of my career working on that, but it was too much. Mm-hmm. And it was just taking up all of my mental space. So that's when my family and I started turning off all screens from Friday night to Saturday night. We call it our tech Shabbats. And we're Jewish, but we're not religious. And we occasionally did Shabbat. You know, most Jews today will say, yeah, sometimes I light the candles, sometimes I... But only really Orthodox Jews did a full day off. And we did it, and it was like the best thing. <laughs> it was such an immediate sense of calm and, and, and introspection and beauty. And I, you know, so Friday night's very social. We always have people over for Shabbat. And then, and that's very fun, boisterous dinner party, very fun. And no one's got their, any screens or they're all people that come over know they can't bring them out. Uh-huh. They can't even bring them. So it's a whole different kind of conversation that people aren't even really familiar with anymore because it's so free flowing and no one's like, stepping out of it to look at their phone. Right. Um, I love that. Like you were saying, and one time you like snuck away to go to the bathroom to check your phone. Right. But when you can't even have your phone there, it just eliminates it it off the table. It's like out of sight, out of mind. So it's very social Friday. And then Saturday I wake up early and Ken and I both do a lot of writing, thinking, and then the kids come down and, and we're just like, it's family day. When I was growing up, we had a family day. And now that really doesn't really specifically happen anymore, but it's like this lovely day. We go in nature, we do art, we cook, we nap, we do nothing, we do gardening, whatever. It's like, it's interesting because a lot of people during the pandemic, I think I've been doing more of those, but there's something about having this boundary around this 24 hour period where it's all about being together and, there, and no one else is involved because the screens is everyone else. The news, the stress of the news, the notifications, the obligations, the everything. And creatively, you know, I am a big journal writer and my, all of my best ideas have come on Saturdays. No way. So like, That's mm. so amazing. I, I would think that people would hear this and say, well, I am, I wouldn't be as productive, right? Like I catch up on email or I use that Saturday to plan my week or, you know, but it sounds like you're actually more creative by turning it off. Oh yeah. And I mean, my husband will say Sunday is his most productive charge day because we've had a, a real full day. I see no one gives ourselves a full day anymore because you're always obligated and available and reachable and stressable and all those things. And there's so much, I mean, this is a very ancient tradition. Over 3000 years old, it is the fourth commandment. You must take a day of rest and no one does it. 
anymore. I don't think 24-7 should be a goal. And that's the society we've built. This day of rest is, I think, the most brilliant idea. And every wisdom practice, Judaism, Buddhism, Christianity, every wisdom practice, silence and introspection is part of it. And we've created a world where there's none of it. Yeah. Like everyone's optimizing every second. Any walk is a podcast. You're on the phone. Right. You're oh, the car, yeah. you're in the, and like literally Too there's much. research. Um, I've made a film called A Case for Dreaming, which is also the neuro, it's the neuroscience of kind of creativity, which is that your best ideas usually come when you're in the shower or you're doing yes. the dishes or you're on a walk because you're giving your mind space to just think. Mm. From all those unique things that only you have thought and only you have experienced and you're allowing it to process and connect in new ways. But right now we're living, we're, we, ne- we don't give ourselves a second to ever think on our own. So yeah. Saturday, I always seem to have the insights for my next movie, my book, my newsletter, whatever, come on the day that I've given myself space to process all the things I've read and heard and learned. And so for creativity, it's like number one, productivity. There's so much research that you need to give real time off. The other thing is really appreciating my life. And, and this wasn't like how the internet started, but the business model did this because it's all the businesses are trying to get you glued to the screen to make you buy more things. But what they've designed is to put us in a constant state of want. You want the next email. You want the next newsletter headline. You want the next notification. You want the shoes that keep popping up in that ad. You want, you want, you want, you want. And you can never get to the bottom of your scroll. You can never get satiated. And that's the whole model. But when I turn the screens off, it's such an immediate switch for me that suddenly, instead of feeling, wanting, I just appreciate mm. what I already have. And it's, it's so huge. It's such a huge flip when I turn them all off. I'm like, ah, I'm not oh trying to be somewhere else. Yeah. That is, it's so, it's so um, exciting that that's the reward. Not that you do everything for reward, but the turning things off, the reward is you become a channel again. It's yeah. almost like your divine channel opens yeah. back up. Are you just kind of marveled at how the creativity comes into you? Like, are you yeah. just like blown away sometimes? Is it almost like another entity, Tiffany? Because my it God, is. like you've had some major ideas. Like, does it just, what, can you yeah. describe it for us? I'm so glad you said that because I just got chills when you said that because I literally, I get excited to get up on Saturday. First of all, I sleep the best Friday night because I've, mm had a little wine. I've had a great night with friends and family and I, there's no screen. So I sleep like deep, deep, deep sleep. And I wake up Saturday and I have this big blank notebook that I only write on, on Shabbat. And I, I have another journal I read on the other days of the week, which we'll talk about because that's a very big tool I use is the five minute journal, but we won't talk about that for a second. So on Saturday, I literally, I can't write enough. It is like pours out of me because it's crazy. Like I have sections of ideas and insights, things I'm struggling with, new ideas for projects, insights on past projects, a narrative thread I didn't see. I feel wow. like 30 pages on Saturday. And it's uh. only because I have slept well. There are no screens. There's nothing pulling at me. I wake up before my family does too on that day, which I think is a real secret to finding time mm-hmm. is really trying to create some time when there's no one else awake. <laughs> yeah, yes, for, for sure. working moms out there. Um, it's like your white period. space, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And my page is the white space. The time is the white space. The no screens is the white space. But we are so dinged and pinged and optimizing everything. There's no space for that. Mm. And 
And I do feel like I'm channeling some crazy stuff on Saturdays. And actually it's so funny you're saying that because I, I just got asked to like curate six books that kind of go with my book. And one of the books I pulled out was oh, like, it's so it. good. And she talks about that idea. Uh, you guys can't see it. because That's my favorite it. book. Oh, one of my Big favorites. Big Magic by Liz Elizabeth Gilbert. Yep. Yes. Oh, well, you should, you would love the other book I'm going to recommend in my curated list, which is The Creative Habit. I don't know if you've ever read that, but Ooh, it's, really no. it's like my favorite book on creativity. But then I also write have that a down. book. This is a very old book from the fifties, which is about a day of rest and Ooh. all the different ideas around that. But the inner work that we all need to do, there's no space for it. Mm-hmm. The second you have a moment, you, you pick up your phone. And I say you, I mean me, because the other six days, I'm just like you all. I'm just like, how do I do How do I put it away? So I wake up. I don't look at my phone when I first wake up and I write my five-minute journal. At dinner, we have all screens off. But sometimes Can you talk about five-minute journal? I'm dying to know. I don't do this. Yeah. What is this? I'm a big journal writer. Like my husband says, I'm an extreme journaler because like, I have a book for all the things. I have a, the book for things that make me laugh. And he started us on this book of like little moments that just little moments. And, and then I have my big idea journal. But the five-minute journal is the more I started doing TextureBot, I wanted more kind of interventions to keep me off the phone. Mm-hmm. So after the 2016 election, I would wake up and look at the New York Times app, and mm. I'd get so stressed out by something yeah. Trump had done that I was just like starting my day and ending right. my day with stress. And I remember feeling like, I'm not going to let Trump dictate my mood of the day. I'm like, I am not looking at the news in the morning. I'm not looking at my email. I'm going to write in my five-minute journal. So it is, it's literally called the five-minute journal. And it's for people that normally don't journal, but I still use it. So there's an inspiring quote at the top, a great collection of quotes. Then it says three lines. What are you grateful for this morning? This three lines. And right. I, you always try to write something different. I've made films on gratitude too. And there's so much research that you don't want to say my health, my home. You have to be very specific because then mm. you're not repeating yourself and you're noticing the littler things. Mm. So I wrote three things. And then it says, what are three things that would make today great? And then you have to think about your day. And like this morning, I was like, I really want to deep, think deeply about the questions they sent me. And it was like a gift to be able to think deeply about your great questions. So I wrote three things. And then that took me 10 minutes, maybe. Then at the end of the day, I go back to it and it says, what are three amazing things that happened today? First of all, they're never what I thought they were going to ah! be. They're <laughs> never the same thing. Interesting. Like, oh my God, that yeah. happened. And I totally didn't expect it. And then it, this is the best one. What's one thing you wish you did differently? Mm, we love that question. Intros- introspection. What did yeah. you kind of mess up on? What did you wish you had said to your child? What did you wish you had done? And, and so- it's so great. It takes like, you can spend a couple minutes, spend five minutes, 10 minutes, but it's like the loaves of your day are deep and beautiful and appreciative instead of looking at the latest New York Times pandemic headline or some email that inevitably will stress you out before you go to sleep or- That's right. It's like intentional. I can't tell you how many clients we talk to and they literally are checking email and I'm guilty of it sometimes too before they even put their feet on the floor and when they're getting out of bed. Yeah, that one, I, I, it's been a huge... And in my book, in addition to kind of talking about this bigger practice, I do talk about all the other things I do that help me from just pulling out the phone, which is, it's robbing us of this space to think. 
In addition to Tiffany turning off all screens one day a week and bookending her days with an inward experience of journaling, she also suggests doing one thing a year that really pushes you to your creative edge. It's all about doing something that scares you. Let's hear more. I try to do something every year that scares me, but there's been like the UC Berkeley commencement speech. Oh my God. I was <laughs> such a stress ball. There were so many people in the audience. Thousands and thousands. 17,000 people. Jeez. Oh How did, oh yeah. What was that morning like for you? And my mouth went dry for the first time ever before a talk. Like I don't get dry mouth. Like some yeah. people get that. Yeah. I literally was five minutes before they called me up there and all of a sudden, I could, there was no saliva in my mouth. And I turned to someone to get me water. And I was like, I, I can't talk. There's no saliva. Oh my gosh. But it went, I was so nervous, but you know, it heightens you. And I remember somebody once, like, I don't get normally now for talks unless they're big. Like once a year I have some big talk, but other mm -hmm. talks I get very I love them. I don't get nervous, but, um, but I get a little like butterflies. And I remember somebody's like, oh, I take vitamin B for that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I would never want to take a vitamin to get rid of that. Like that's the juice that gets you like yeah. extra whatever on stage. But mm. so what I'm taking away is yeah. you get scared once you, you do something really scary once really every year. Scary. I yes. always call it Kim and I discomfort boot camp. Like if you're really, <laughs> if you're really committed to growing, you have to get yeah. uncomfortable a little bit every day and then bring something big into your life. I like each year that really pushes really your edge you. yeah. because it's the best and it's okay to be scared. Like you still feel it big time. Yeah. And it's not bad. It's the cliff to evolve you. You know, if you're constantly evolving who you are, what you think, when you do something really scary creatively or it takes a lot of courage, it just like just really pushes you to that next place. I love how much you're bringing from each of the things you've done into the new one. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting to me. Like, oh, this is like a new way to think about that. Mm -hmm. And I love that about getting older. It's just, I yes. have so many experiences to draw. We all have so much to draw upon. It's the yeah. best. Yeah. yeah. You have less holding you back. You feel the fear, but you do it anyway. I yeah. love that reframe of, you know, this is the cliff to evolve you. This is not yeah. the thing to stop you. It's the thing to help you grow and learn and get to the next, you know, evolution of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Tiffany, what would you tell people right now? I feel like everybody's needing to be called upon. What would you say to people who've been thinking about things, but then have the natural holdbacks or fears? Like what's your advice to someone about to push themselves over the cliff? What would you tell them? Well, I think we're at this really interesting moment because everyone's having to rethink the way they make their living, or a lot of us. Yeah. And, but that, that can be exciting. Like humans are known to adapt and adapting how you make your living or I think is really interesting. I mean, even Ken, my husband's a professor at Berkeley and he had to rethink the way he was mm. teaching and he's very excited by it. Like a lot of people are lamenting it, but he's like, ah, oh, this is so interesting. It's like, mm. And I think if you approach it as a challenge and that humans are really good at this, we are really good at adapting and that if you have something that you want to try, I think we're in an interesting moment in society because a lot of places are having to rethink, restaurants are having to rethink what they do, like businesses, how they operate, 
theaters. What is a theater? We're in a big reset and that's an opportunity to take some risks because a lot of the old systems aren't there. What is next for you? I mean, you have done so many interesting things, books, talks, films, you know, the webbies. I'm so curious what What's what's your focus kind of for well, your future? It, your first question, it was so funny when you were like, what's it like to be courageously creative? And the the book I always thought was going to be my first book, but then Tech Shabbats just felt more and more urgent. And I never thought I was going to make a book about Tech Shabbats. I was just doing it. It was helping my life so much as everyone was getting more addicted. So I was like, that felt urgent, like, it's to, like to help society mm-hmm. and families and people. But the book I always wanted to write was about how to make things happen, which was your first question. Yes. And a lot of people, and actually after my career of whatever, 25 years, I do have a system that I take any idea through at this point that I want to teach people. Everything from how to evolve the idea, how to share it, how to fundraise, how to market it, how to take it out, how to figure out what went wrong, how to improve it. I mean, like, I have yes, a please. Now. Yeah, exactly. Sign me up. And I always thought I was going to write that like 10 years ago and then it didn't hmm. happen. But like, just like what you were saying earlier, the timing, I have so much more to draw upon now. So I think that will be my next book. And then we're working on this series based on 24-6 about kind of mm-hmm. technology and society and, and how the pandemic has accelerated so many things. But when does technology amplify who we are and when does it amputate us? And I Ooh, think that's a like really that. interesting question. So that'll be the series. Yeah. And I've been doing these, well, they were weekly, but now it was taking up too much time. And now they're monthly Zoom holobakes. And that's so me cute. Really having fun, experimenting with online community. And I'm you know, trying to finish a film for the election as I'm, I do a lot of activism. I've done films for Planned Parenthood and like doing whatever I can in less than 44 days to be exact until the election. I love too how you bring like your, the topics of your work are so in, important and serious, but you you also bring this like funny, whimsical, colorful, aspect to, to, it seems like all your films, at least. The humor is a big part of my work because I think when you're tackling something really meaty, like the meaning of life or (laughs) all these things, like how do you open them up with humor and then go deep on the subject? So, Mm. and a lot of whimsy, I have a lot of fun. The more fun I have, the more fun you're going to (laughs) have. So Mm -hmm. fun is important and humor and irony and those are my favorite films that have that combination. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to let all of you know, first of all, you have to pick up the book 24-6, The Power yes. of Unplugging. A day, a week, it's game-changing. It's coming out in paperback, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And then our on our website, we'll also include all the amazing places you can find Tiffany's work because there's lots of different places. But thank you for sharing your wisdom and sharing your some of your secrets and your relationship to fear and just going for it. It's been beautiful. Well, thank you both for doing this podcast. I mean, I think just words have so much power and the title of it is elevating that journey, which Mm -hmm. is really important. And I think that anyone that wants to create and have the courage to put something out there needs to draw upon themselves. And that takes time and that takes a little space to do that work. And I think that your podcast is going to do that for a lot of people and make them want to go into their own inside journey, which I think is really important. That's all for now. If you are inspired by this podcast, hop on over to insidejourney.com for more episodes and to learn about our work with leaders and teams. 
And make sure to subscribe to InsideJourney.com so you never miss an episode. As Brene Brown wisely said, when we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. We couldn't agree more. Own your story. Love your story. Share your story. You never know who it can inspire. Thanks for tuning in. Can't wait for more juicy conversations with you next month.